Hi everyone, thanks for listening to this Margaret River Baptist Church podcast. It's increasingly difficult for us to gather in the usual ways with COVID approaching Western Australia. In light of this and to help the Christian community connect, uh, this week we took our service outside. This week's sermon was recorded on the grassed kids area to the side of our regular auditorium with toys in the sandpit and swings in the background. Along with this, there was a slight technical issue and so we want to apologise in advance for the poor quality audio. I hope you'll find something in here that helps you connect with Jesus as you listen. I hope this sermon helps you know God, share Christ, and care for people. Um, all right, two questions to start. Does anybody here have an enemy? Do you have an enemy? Maybe that enemy would be chocolate. Does anybody have an enemy in chocolate? Does anybody have an enemy? Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your boss, yeah. All right, second one. Does anybody have a bad habit? Stick your hand up, you got a bad habit. All right. Uh, prayer and counseling for you guys after the service. Um, for me, it's chewing my nails. Let's be honest, if I'm working in the garden, then of course there's all black under it. I don't go for it. That's just gross, right? But then other times I'm sitting at the computer typing away and, you know, just starting to fret a little bit. What's going on with my life? Just a little. And then before you know it, the end of the week is here and I've got... I've got no nails left. What is it that makes me chew my nails? Maybe it has to do with the other question that I asked. Um, do you have an enemy? Uh, somebody or something that makes you fret? Perhaps it's not your fingernails. Perhaps it's overeating. Perhaps it's binge-watching TV. Perhaps it's too much alcohol. Something to blind you to the truth of the enemy's influence in your life. You know, we all have enemies, we all have coping mechanisms that we put in place to try and help us get through that trouble. Some of them are helpful, some of them not so helpful. This week's lectionary readings, they have a theme that I believe the church needs to hear. And that overarching theme is actually trust. Trust in God, trust in Jesus. Yes, the enemies are there. But Jesus has some word to change our mind about how we deal with these problems that we're faced with. The three points that I want to bring home today as we uh, have a look at today's text, the three points, uh, we're going to be looking at judgment, we're going to be looking at our enemies, and we're going to be looking at trust. Three things, judgment, enemies, and trust. We're going to jet through our service, J-E-T. We're going to jet through our service today. And so our text today that we're going to exegete is actually Luke 6, that Luke 6 passage, which was all about enemies. While you're going there on your phone app so that you can have it in your lap uh, while we're reading through, I'm going to read out the psalm that was in the lectionary's readings this week. And it says this, Do not fret because of those who are evil. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Verse 4, Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. That's the trust part. We'll get there in a bit. But open up uh, Luke 6 and have it in your lap as we go through. Notice that psalm, it doesn't say, ignore your enemies. Notice that psalm doesn't say, oh yeah, just ignore your enemies. You know, it's important that we all have enemies because it does happen. It's calling us instead to a greater trust of God's overarching plan for us. What does that mean? What does that look like? Today in Luke 6, it's a parallel of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus, in the previous block of text, has just told people that it's actually better to be poor than to be rich. It's better to be starving than to be well-fed. He's turning the world on his head. He's telling the world as he speaks to them about what it means to trust in God's plan. We're going to look at today's texts, and we're going to get through those three points, the 
the judgment, our enemies, and our trust. Okay, so today we're going to start at verse 37. So everyone have a look down at verse 37. It says this, Luke 6, 37, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Did anybody get to share um, stories about their enemies while I shuffled you all earlier? Yeah, I've got one now. My, my story that I've got uh, is about when I was working with my dad up in Perth. That's three hours drive away for those online listening to this. We have a dream. Um, me and my dad had a dream to be able to train young people in the art of piano restoration. You know, I'm a fairly handy guy. I love music. So we were going to do that together. I had experience in the training realm. My dad has experience in the, uh, the piano industry. And so by the end of two years, drive in, drive out with him, it actually became clear that our goal to create this next generation of technicians, it wasn't actually going to come about. It wasn't going to happen. We had a meeting and a meeting where our judgments on the issues, they came to be laid on the table. <laughs> this is that. This is that hard pointy bit. Was I an enemy with my dad at that point? Well, yeah, but actually it was hard in my life. So yeah, he was my enemy at that point. We had a meeting. Our judgments came out. This is what I perceive of what's happening in our relationship. And I'm going to lay it all out on the table. And I had my judgments. He had his like cannons lined up pointing at each other. I told him that he had taken his eye off the goal and of why I started working. You need to re-engage with the dream, you know, judgment blammo socked him with that one um he in response he told me that i wasn't giving enough you know you're not around enough and blammo back at me you know it was an intense discussion that we had that day this is actually really deep stuff and i'm I'm making light of it because i don't want you to sit with the depth of it but the final word was that i was unable to give any more time to that business as my duties to my home and my family were more important than what was needed for that business. And so it all fell apart from there. You know, hindsight is an amazing thing. As I reflected on that job and my time there, um, my dad's goal to start something new, my desire for him to be more engaged in training, this was laughable from his position. You know, he had already sacrificed so much to get to the point that he was. And I was judging him, not knowing what he was already carrying, what he had already sacrificed to get to that position. And he was actually judging me. He wanted more from me than what I could actually offer him. You know, our text today uses these words, judgment, condemnation, pardon, all of these words, they would have been really common to Jesus's audience, mostly because it reflects this idea of atonement for them. You know, atonement, at one to be at one with, to be as if there wasn't actually a problem in the relationship at all, as if nothing was wrong. A Jewish person would know these words, judgment, condemnation, and how they related to the Jewish culture, because they actually have a holiday for it. They have a whole holiday just on atonement, and it is called Yom Kippur. Anybody heard of Yom Kippur? Yeah, some people. Um, I think that would be a great thing for us to do, but in Leviticus 16, if you wanted to flick there, Day of Atonement, you don't need to. If we were going to do it this year, and if we were Jewish, it would be sometime in October. Those Jewish people, as they follow this Day of Atonement, these days, this is what they do. They spend it in fasting. They don't eat anything. They go to, they go to church five times to pray. 
They abstain from touching one another. They hang away from each other and they don't do any work. But in the beginning, Leviticus 16, what we actually read about in the Bible, it looks a little bit different. Hey, kids, do you want to come on up here? Come around this table for me. I know you want to keep playing, doing whatever you're doing, but come over here. I want to show you what what Yom Kippur is or the Day of Atonement is in Leviticus 16. Come and check this out. I've got a little llama here. Everyone see my llama? Come around this table. Oh, you can't hold it. No, no, that's for me. I want to hold it. Oh, okay. What have I got here? Here we go. I've got our verse. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you won't be condemned. Oh, oh no. I have a little goat here. This is Jimmy. This is the other goat that I have. This is a goat and I'm going to call the llama a goat for the moment. Okay. There's a goat. So what happened in Leviticus 16, if you were uh, all the way back in the Jewish people and uh, they had the Day of Atonement, what would happen is they'd take a bull and they would kill the bull and then they would use the blood and they'd throw it all around the temple and they'd let the man go into the temple because of what the, what the bull had done. And then after that, the more important thing, I think, is that they'd take two goats and they'd have a game of rock, paper, scissors. So uh, do, you want, do you know how to play rock, paper, scissors? Yeah? Okay, you can play with Lexi. Okay, play Lexi. Okay, you're going to be this goat and you're going to be this goat, okay? We get to choose which one we're going to use. Okay, rock, paper, scissors. Ready? Scissors, paper, rock. Oh, we got two rocks. Go again. Scissors, paper, rock. Okay, paper, paper, paper. Okay, so this one here has been selected. This one here, unfortunately, is going to die. <laughs> but this one here, this one here, the priest, after he's killed that one, and, you know, they do whatever they do with that, they say about this goat, they would pray over this goat all of the sins of the people. So all of the sins. So if you had a problem with your mum, you'd say, um, dear God, we pray that the goat would take the problem that I have away with my mum. I've been mean to my mum. You know, the goat can take this sin away. And then there might be another problem, like I stole something the other day, Lord, uh, God, we ask that you would put the blame for me stealing something would go on this goat. And then they would take this goat and they would lead it all the way outside the camp, all the way outside, and then they'd let it go. They'd let it go into the wilderness. And can you imagine how good that would be? Okay, so you've done something bad to your mom or to your dad and you put it on that goat and then the goat carried it all the way from the camp which meant that you and your mum could be okay again. And it meant that you and the guy that you stole something from would be, actually, it would be at one with. You'd be okay with being with that person. Does that make sense? Cool. Okay, go hang out a little bit more, and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more in a little bit. Okay, so does that make sense? Um, A great symbol, a great metaphor for allowing people to become at one with each other and at one with God. It's pretty simplistic, but I think you get the idea, yeah? Everyone nod? You still with me? Close enough? Okay. Do not judge and you won't be judged. Don't condemn. That's the verse. Let's get back to it. Wouldn't it be great to sit with your enemy and have a goat take the place of all the problems that you had? And then the goat walked away and you actually had free and easy relationship with that person. How cool would that be? Wouldn't that just be... Just something just so symbolic of being able to be in free relationship with people. So the idea of the goat is that 
actually we place all the judgment, all the planning of all the things we're going to say, we put it on the goat and we actually let the goat get out of the way so that we can actually acknowledge the person as a human and we can actually then move forward and, and have grace in that space. It allows grace in the relationship which leads to the healing of the brokenness. Does that make sense? When we start our conversations without judgment, when we start our conversations without condemnation, it allows grace in the relationship, which leads to the healing of the brokenness. But it goes further than this. Let's keep reading verse 38. Okay, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured for you. Okay. All right, let's come back over here, kids. One more thing. This is the last thing I got for the kids today. Who likes... Who likes cereal? Yeah, I like cereal. Who likes Milo cereal? Okay, do you know that in the old days, when they were dealing things out, they would pour a certain amount, they would use a measure. We could actually say that this bucket that I've got here, this is a measure. And then they would take whatever we pour into the measure, and then they would all be wearing, ah, 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 and you can't eat that yet. Okay. You take the measure and then everybody would wearing like long roby cloaky things and they could actually hold it in their robe or cloak. So they'd take it and then they'd pour it into their cloak and they'd take it home and then they'd put it in whatever jar they had. But they didn't have any plastic bags those days. Such a good idea. Such a good idea. Hold it in your shirt and then take it home. All right, anyway. So <clears throat> let's say, is this a full measure? Tell me when the, when the measure gets full, the, the bucket. Tell me when the bucket is full. Okay, is it full? No, okay, how about now? No, how about, how about now? Is it full? It's actually pretty close. You can stick that one in your mouth, buddy. That's okay. All right, that one got lost. Okay, is it? It's full now, isn't it? Ah, stop. Okay, well let's just shuffle that over. Okay, now it's full, right? Is this full? Now there's a problem with this, isn't it? Because what happens if we give it a shake? If we give it a shake. What we get is settlement. Now, is that full anymore? No, it's not full anymore. So, we've got to top it back up. All right. So, this is actually talking about when we've got a problem with our people that we're angry at and our enemies, we're actually saying, actually, what is fair? We're actually asking the question of what is fair here. So, is it full now? Yeah, it is actually. It's full. It, what do you mean it's not? Okay, you're right. Hang on. Let's go with what Lexi said. It's not full. Here we go. I'm, for those that are listening online, I'm crunching the Milo cereal into my measure. All right, now is it full? It's getting pretty close, I think. All right, now, is that fair and reasonable, what I just did to that Milo cereal? Hmm. Feel free to eat that if you want, I don't mind. It's, it's had my handprint all over it, I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Anyway, you get the idea. Well, they'll be... They'll be Good for the next 10 or 15 minutes at least. Anyway, hang on, we're just talking about judging people. Why are we talking about Milo, right? Jesus is using this example to see if we're actually being fair. Are we being fair in our fighting? Are we being fair in our desire for the other person to perhaps pull their head in? He's asking here, what is reasonable? What is a reasonable amount? He's given us this awesome picture. So what you're asking of a person is of an enemy. Is it unreasonable? 
Do I expect a full measure? Do I expect a normal measure? What is God asking of us? Does God want us to put in a full measure? As a church, we might say, well, God wants us to fill the cup to overflowing every week. But actually, is that sustainable? Is it honoring to God to burn ourselves out, to push it all the way in to do church? I don't think it's right. It depends on what you're sharing as to how hard you pack it in, right? Now, there's something about the Milo. Yeah, that, that's an easy thing to pack in harder. But at some point, the shape of the thing breaks down and it's no longer good for purpose. All of those kids, they're eating the whole kernels. They're not eating the crust that I just crunched down into the bottom. Let's get back into it. Uh, scripture says God knows our needs. He's already meeting them and will do so as we move forward. So let's be reasonable in our judgment of others. Let's give grace. Simply honor God. Live with mercy, which brings us to our next section on enemies. Okay, so that was Jay. Now we're going to get into enemies. Let's jump back to verse 27, back to the start of our reading. Uh, Luke 6:27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Christ says, love your enemies. What do you do with that? What's your response? Let's pull it all the way back. Let's look at the simple life and societal implications for this. What if everybody followed this instruction? Actually, it allows room for that atonement goat to appear. It allows room for healing. If we dig deeper, we see in the Old Testament that it's commanded to actually love your neighbors in Leviticus 19. But up until this point, Nobody actually had commanded, love your enemies. Jesus is taking this further now, love your enemies. You might still be saying, hey, that's crazy, that's a waste of resources. But actually, when you see it at work in a Christian's life, actually this is the way and the path of faith. It takes into consideration that people change. And if we're willing to look deep enough, that even you and I have changed from what we were before we met Christ before we accepted Christ's atonement for us. But that's not the end. Okay, so verse 28, Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. This blessing, it isn't just a saying that Jesus asked us to do. You know, bless those who curse you. No, he lived it out. On the cross, when they were soldiers, were gambling for his clothes, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. More than this, Jesus expects it of us. And it's crept into his discipleship model and into the disciples who are outworking their faith as they follow Jesus. And if you want to look into that, you can check out Stephen's response in Acts 7 when the people are throwing stones at him to kill him. Where can we find a place to bless others that are causing us pain? What if the pain becomes too much to bear? It keeps going, this is hard teaching, people. Verse 29. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. This right slap, this is the greatest insult in the ancient Near East. Someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. The poorest people in the ancient Near East, in terms of a shirt and a cloak, the poorest people would have only had one of each of these. And so if somebody's saying, hey, I want your cloak, Jesus here says, hey, give them the shirt off your back as well. You've only got one each. If they're going to insult you by taking the thing that could potentially kill you in, in frost or in cold, then you might as well let them go all the way and just kill you outright. 
This is absolute non-resistance on one's own behalf. Perhaps it's hyperbole. Maybe not. There's two places I want to go with this idea. One, if you're in a situation of domestic violence, it is absolutely okay to remove yourself from the situation. Do not hear me saying that you need to stay in that space. And if you are, we can recommend to you counsellors that can help you overcome this terrible situation. The second thing, though, if you're safe from ongoing physical violence, there's teaching here from Jesus that would encourage our attacker to look at his disrespect of the victim and no true shame. That is, this response was to cause the shame to become greater for the attacker. So, when I was doing my missions course at Bible College, they taught me something that I think is just amazing. It's about worldview. Worldview is something where, depending on where you come in the world, this will be the deepest thing that you believe, that the thing that is most apparent to you that perhaps you don't even understand because it's so ingrained in your culture, so ingrained in your life. Um, and this worldview thing, it works its way out in three, three ways. It's either uh, honour and shame. So if you are good, you are honoured. If you are bad, you are shamed or you are shameful. Uh, it's have and have not. It is I have something, therefore I have all the, all the toys and you have none. So therefore I am good and you are bad. And then the last one is uh, power and powerless. Okay, uh, I have all the power and you have none of the power. Therefore I am better and you are worthless. Does that make sense? Worldview, okay. So, what do we have? Honor, shame, have, have not, and power, powerless. How does that actually work its way out in our culture, and our community? Let's say if I don't do the right thing, I might remove from you something that you have. If it's the kids, screen time. That means that I have and you have not. That means I'm good and you're bad. Maybe it's if you break the law, somebody with power will tell you just how much power you don't actually have. Here in Australia, we are very good at have, have not, and we're very good at power, no power. We're very good at those two things. But what we're not good at is honour shame. And I know, uh, does anybody here come from South America or Asia, uh, anywhere like that? Stick your hand up. No, yes, no. I know that me and my wife, uh, we have some trouble sometimes because she's got a South American heritage, a European heritage that would actually say that to be honoured or to be dishonoured is actually more important than... Um, whether you have something or you don't have something or whether you have power or not power. You know, it's about honour. You know, and if you do something bad, then you've dishonoured yourself and that's really, ooh, shameful. You know, ooh, this is... Anyway, so she might tell me one, you know, every now and again, she's probably looking at me now. I'm shaming myself. I've got to move on. My family was a power, no power kind of family. My wife's family was a shame, honour family. And so it's led to some very interesting dynamics in our relationship. Anyway, Jesus here... Coming back to the text, Jesus here is actually changing it up and he's changing it around. He's saying, actually, honor shame here. Honor shame, here is a chance for you guys to rethink your life because what you are doing when you hit somebody is so shameful that actually you've become the bad guy. Whether or not they were already the bad guy or not, it doesn't matter. They are now so bad. But then what it is, if he pushes this shame, it's asking and begging the question of them, are you doing what's inherently right in this situation? Where is your righteousness? It's asking that question to them. Yeah, it could be hyperbole. Jesus wanting to shame the perpetrator into inaction, potentially even repentance. But it could be actual as well. And if it's actual, then now 
actually what we're starting to look like is not physical violence, but actually we're looking at trust. If we let somebody hit us, then we're letting our physical body be in God's hands. If we give somebody our coat and our shirt, we might not survive. We're in God's hands. And this is so hard for us in the Western context. I don't want to give this to you. What will I wear? This dependence on Christ's ongoing mercy, the dependence of God for his deliverance of our daily bread has so much more value. Now we begin to see why Jesus has spoken woes to those listening in the preceding verses. Woe to the rich. Are you willing to place your trust in God's provision for your life? I asked us at the beginning if we had any enemies. I suspect that most of our enemies are actually enemies in the resource game. You know, they have more than me, I want that. Rather than I have an enemy who's in the physical violence game. And this passage has now taken us past the idea of verbal enemies and we're well into the realm of physical violence. And perhaps there is threat of physical violence in our midst. But I suspect that in this place where we are, we're actually relatively secure from that. And yet still Christ's words stand. What does trust look like if it's a resource enemy? Two people arguing over Milo cereal. Judgment, enemies and trust, J-E-T. Let's look at trust, okay? So we've had a look at enemies, now let's look at our last point. Okay, give to anybody who asks you, this is verse 30, give to anyone who asks you and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. This is talking about people who are begging on the street. There are people who are genuinely could not work. It was a construct built into Jewish society, a construct that emphasized both charity and responsibility. When somebody is clearly in need, ask you for something, do we trust that God will continue to look after our needs once we've given that item away? Yes, there's a place for stewardship of our resources, don't get me wrong. But if you are asked, how much do we actually trust that God will provide in the stead of what we've just given away? Do we trust that God will continue to look after our needs once we've given that item away? Do unto others as you would have them do to you is the next verse in 31. We're going to keep moving. This is the opposite of the saying from the ancient world. In the ancient world, it used to be, do not do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But actually, Jesus flips this around again, and he says in verse 36, we're going to jump, be merciful just as your father is merciful. And we're talking here about active mercy to people. A good man's sons were expected to exemplify their father's characters. And thus God's children should also act like them. So every human should reflect God's mercy. So human mercy should reflect God's mercy, sorry. So human mercy should reflect God's mercy. And so I want to ask you the question this morning. We've talked about judgment and we've talked about enemies and we've talked about God's provision. We've talked about trusting in God. Is there somebody this week that you need to offer mercy to as you go through your life and as you go through your struggle? Perhaps the enemy that you talked about earlier with the, uh, in the conversation time. Let's bring this to a conclusion. Your status now in Christ has moved from being a have-not to a have. Your status has moved from being powerless to powerful. You've moved from being shamed to being honoured by God. 
as you accept the atoning work of Christ for your life, as you accept that atoning goat, and you accept it's taken out of the camp. And so because of that, don't live lives that don't reflect the mercy and grace that you've been shown. Rather, live lives that reflect the mercy of God the Father, who looked at the chasm between us and him and made a way through Jesus for us to be reconciled, not only to him, but to each other. He allowed room for the goat of atonement to enter into that room and then for each of us to talk out our sin, talk out our fleshly desires that get in the way of trusting God and trusting that he has everything under control. Last page. Christians in this place today, Christ is calling you to trust him. In Genesis 43, a famine was approaching Israel. This was in our lectionary readings this week. We had Joseph and his brothers and the story about his mercy on his brothers after what they did to him. God is at work here now, in this space, working. And God is working now in our society, in our church, in our families. And Christ is calling you to trust him. You might say, well, but Damo, what if I lose money over the coming months or years because I made a choice one way or another? I have to say, God is still in control. What if I succumb to sickness or ill health in the coming months? God is still in control. Romans 8 says, God works for the good of those who loves him and who have been called according to his purpose. I want to suggest that perhaps it's God's purpose for each of us to be in this place and this time in this moment. And he's calling us to trust him. What's more, what are we in church for if not to look past the things of this life? Oh, I'm going to get sick. Oh, I'm going to run out of money. No, no, we're not in church because we're sowing into our, into our fleshly desires. That's not why we're here. We're sowing into the things of God. We're sowing into our spiritual life, the 1 Corinthians 15 reading that we heard earlier. We die in the flesh, but we sow through our prayers and in our honoring of God, we sow a life that's of the Spirit. When we sow into our spiritual life, we love our enemy even when it hurts us. We exercise our spiritual muscles when we trust God. And finally, we sow into our spiritual life and body when we leave things to God to judge and be judged over. For those that haven't understood the grace that Jesus offers yet, for those that are listening online or they don't feel like coming to church or are here but don't admit that they're struggling with this whole idea of faith, I want to let you know that there's space for you in this church without judgment and there's a space for you in God's family where there's no more need to war against God but instead, we have an atoning goat that's been prayed over and has been sent out of the room. And you now have a choice to join in with us as we thanks, say thanks to God for his work through Jesus. Let's pray together as we close up. O perfect love, God, whose compassionate power transforms sin into health and temporal dust into eternal glory, Lord, grant us gracious faith so that like Joseph when he was sold into slavery, we may face our trials with confidence and become a blessing to friend and enemy alike in Jesus' name. Lord, help us to trust you with our lives. Help us to lay down our rights to anger and reprisal as you have shown us the way to respond. Lord, help us let go of judgment. Lord, help us bless our enemies, whether they're a resource enemy or a physical one. Lord, thank you that we can live in this blessed land. 
Finally, Lord, I ask that you would help us to live out Psalm 37, where it says to trust in the Lord and do good. Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, help us to dwell in this land. Help us to enjoy our safe pasture. Lord, I pray that you would help us to take delight in you. And Lord, we look forward to the desires of our heart being uh, met through you and in you and through open relationship with you and with others because of everything that you've done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said...